0: Are you a conduit or an obstruction? What is a conduit? For all of you engineers out there, you'll know the word means a channel through which something is transmitted similar to a conductor, which allows heat or electricity to pass through. Jesus speaks about us being a conductor of living water, which is to flow from our hearts out to others. And we've heard many sermons on being a vessel or instrument through which God is allowed to move. The Bible tells us that Cyrus, king of Persia, was God's chosen instrument at a crucial time in history. A brilliant military leader, he became ruler of the great Persian Empire, and through him and his decrees, the Babylonian captivity was finally ended. In his very first year of reign, Cyrus's heart was stirred by God to proclaim, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you what an incredible proclamation about 60 years earlier king nebuchadnezzar had begun his siege against jerusalem and destroyed the temple carrying off many to babylon including the prophet daniel and his friends shadrach meshach and abednego now at last decades later those who had remained faithful all those years or their families were allowed at last to return and see their beloved temple rebuilt God used a king whose professed religion was Zoroastrianism and believed in one God called Ahura Mazda, which means wise Lord, a compassionate, just creator of the universe. He used this man to be able to release the Jews to return and rebuild. Cyrus is a prime example of how God can turn the hearts of kings, as it says in Proverbs 21. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. This should encourage us to keep praying for our government leaders, whose hearts God can direct in any manner to accomplish His will. As Paul writes Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Thus, don't give up. Even if you see them make unwise or selfish decisions contrary to scripture, God is still at work mightily to bring his plans to completion. We also read that Paul was a chosen instrument selected by God to take his message to the Gentiles, Jews, and kings Initially, Ananias was doubtful of this possibility, warning God that he'd heard of the many terrible things Saul had done to the believers in Jerusalem, and even he knew that Paul was authorized to arrest everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Ananias believed Saul's reputation, and he feared for his own destruction. (laughs) Go and lay hands on Saul, he believed, meant he was signing his death warrant. But God was persistent and insisted that the man Saul was, he was no longer. God knew Saul was now a new creature in Christ Jesus and the old was gone. A new life had begun. Are we willing to believe in people's spiritual transformation? Are we willing to see people as new creations in Christ and welcome them into the Christian family as beloved children of God? We are called to be instruments of God's love and acceptance, forgiving the wrongs of others as they grow in Christ. And what about us? What kind of instruments are we? How do we conduct God's grace, mercy, and love. We are warned in Romans 6 not to become an instrument of evil to serve sin, but to give ourselves completely to God and thus use our whole body as instruments to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer our master, Paul writes, because we now live under the freedom of God's grace. Further, we are to be instruments that make sense, as Paul tells the Corinthians in his first letter to them directly after he writes about love which is our highest goal he goes on then to talk about the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy but advises that in church meetings he would rather speak five understandable words to help others than ten thousand words in an unknown language instructing them to use their gifts wisely that others may be encouraged But it isn't just with words that we are conduits of God's grace. There are many other resources that God places at our disposal that we're called to pass on. Author and founder of Eternal Perspective Ministries, Rhonda Alcorn, reminds us that just because God puts his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends it to stay there, instructing us to share God's monetary blessings with others as the Spirit leads. Statistics show that overall Americans gave $471.4 billion in 2020, which is a 5.1 increase from the previous year, but corporate or companies giving actually decreased by 6.1, suggesting that companies are attempting to keep their profits for themselves. But what's interesting is that within the church itself, only 5% of people tithe, and 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income, whereas in the Great Depression, Christians were giving 3.3% of their income. The harder their times, it seems, the more they gave, although this didn't even come close to the 10% advised in Malachi 3. It seems the prophet's accusation is still true today. You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me, even though God promised that when we do give, our church will be blessed and the windows of heaven will open for us and God will pour out his blessings so great we won't have room enough to take them in. He even challenges us to test him in this. And this only could... covers the required tithe of 10%. It doesn't even suggest the offerings that are gifts over and above our tithes that we're called to give in cases of special needs, both locally and around the world. How often are we open to hear from God when he tells us about a need that arises, such as the terrible situation in the Ukraine or a local family who lost a loved one through illness or violence? Paul commends the impoverished churches in Macedonia who overflowed in rich generosity, for they begged him again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And the reason that they gave even more than he'd hoped, because their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. When we're open to the Lord to hear what he has to say to us, then our hearts are open and our pocketbooks will follow. We won't hold anything back from giving it for the Lord's use. Does that mean even if we don't think they need or really deserve or are grateful for our sacrifice, we should respond? If God directs, then yes, even then. We hold a weekly food bank and give great amount of food away to families. And many of those are coming through with fancy cars like Mercedes, Mini Coopers, or Lexus. It's easy to imagine that they really aren't in need. But some of our volunteers have even been upset. And they don't even help us anymore because they've seen this. What's our answer? Well, for one thing, the food bank does require people to respond financially to questions if they're eligible. And if they say yes, then we give food. It's that simple. The other thing can be found when Paul responds to the generosity of the Corinthians in giving to the suffering Jerusalem church. He quotes Psalm 112.9. They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Further, he reminds them that just as God gives seeds to the farmer so that others can make bread, in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched, he says, in every way so that you can always be generous. Moreover, your gifts will cause them to give glory to God and to pray for you. Finally, we need to remember the generosity of God's grace. We didn't deserve it, but it's a free gift. None of us can earn it. He lavishly pours it out upon us as he does an unfailing love and his goodness. If God's so lavish with us, why should we ever be stingy? Let us then look today for ways to be a conduit that's able to give generously God's goodness, grace, and resources. And let us be instruments of mercy and peace and pardon, as the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi instructs. God bless you, beloved. God bless you.